Let me tell you of the days of high adventure. And I'm John. And this is Six Degrees of Schwarzenegger, the podcast where we take a long, hard look back at some of our favorite action movies from the era of Arnold's. You guys, Schwarzenegger is the icon of the genre, and we're taking a deep dive into some of these 80s and 90s cult action movies and breaking them all the way down. Do my best Clancy Brown impersonation. Yeah, I was about to say, are you sure that Christopher Lambert isn't the icon of the genre? I'm the icon of the genre. <laughs> That's a good impression, dude. <laughs> well, I don't know what accent that is. It's That's creepier. not what Swiss people sound like either, or no, French people. He's unidentifiable. <laughs> He probably thinks that's his American accent. What, what the fuck are we even doing here? Let you guys, oh my God. Let, let, let us first of all just apologize to you for getting out of hand. I'm John. That's Kevin. We've got our friend Andrew Miller here. Causing He's in trouble. Houston joining us. Yeah, baby. A resident Highlander expert. And, and, and yeah, we're here to talk about Highlander, a movie that if you've listened to the first episode, you'll, you'll know that Kevin and I had never seen before we started pre- uh, preparing for this show. Yes. Somehow, some way, because yeah. it was, like you said, it was in the ether. Yeah. It was like, I was aware that people like this. There was the TV show. Yeah. Was also around. Oh, yeah, yeah. With uh, Adrian Paul. Is with, that the guy? Uh, I was, was going to ask if you'd watched either of you. Who is the, he? Uh, an, uh, an offspring of? I think he no. he's a, he's a cousin? another cousin. Um, okay, sure. Can it run in the family? It runs in the family. You, you, you can't have children. As a Highlander, as we will, you, or as a uh, immortal in this, as right. we will learn, you cannot procreate, or you just should not. I think you, you cannot. Cannot. You're not, That's what they say. But at the end of the movie, he says something well, about I can once, have kids. Once he becomes yeah. the master of the quickening, oh, then he yeah. can fuck again. Yeah, he and, becomes and he the master die. of the universe. That should have been. <laughs> I always think of Highlander two, the fucking <laughs> So, in in the same. Thing that we'll probably talk about in today's episode, we learned that there are other immortals that just pop up out of nowhere, even yeah. though Connery told us at the beginning that they've existed since the dawn of time. Right. So we've we've got some uh, paradox there. I don't know. Maybe they exist outside of time and inside. There's a of time. lot of issues. Who knows? Uh, There's a yeah. lot of issues because it's like first, how can you know about the gathering and know all these things if it this if it's never happened before? How do right. you know the name of every other Highlander? <laughs> how do you, yeah, uh, how do you know that keep calling Jesus them Highlanders. Christ is coming back one day? <laughs> I thought that, well, I thought they were Highlanders before I started watching, yeah. then I was just like, oh no, he's just a dude from Scotland. Yeah, yeah, I same. I, I always thought, I was like, well, there, there can be only know. one Highlander. I was like, yeah. that's a cool-ass title, It's a much it better than than we don't really have a name. Yeah. <laughs> We've been around forever. We never really got around to giving ourselves a moniker. Yeah, we'll get we'll get into more of the lore as we as we get into the episode. So this is episode two As we two get into the, the drinks. That's right, yes. <laughs> what are you drinking? Uh, I'm now, I've switched over to Castle and Key. So okay. the first episode I was drinking that Uncle Pepper rye, which was Old delicious. Pepper. I said that. Old Pepper. <laughs> Old Pepper. You never listen to me when I talk. Old Uncle Pepper. <laughs> 
old Uncle Pecker. It's the same bottle we had when you were over last. Ooh, I'm not, yeah, it's not a big good. rye drinker, but damn, it was better than I remembered. Yeah, it was delicious. Yeah. Yeah, I'm drinking Castle and Key, too. This movie has castles. Yeah, it and does. Keys sure. at one point. What's sure. her name tries to get into her apartment? Keys of cocaine. We didn't have any scotch. We wished we did, but um, Next we're same. drinking scotch in spirit. What same, are you same. drinking over there? Um, I am drinking the Carbach Crawford Bach. Um, it is baseball. Oh, that's a killer name. It is it is baseball season here. I noticed it had the Astro stripes on it. So, oh, is that affiliated with the team? They got the real is. team logo. Yeah. So at at the Juice Box at Minute Maid Field, um, there are the Crawford boxes. Crawford is one of the streets that runs along um, the left field wall, and they have some boxes out in the back. And so the Crawford boxes are that short home run porch in left field at the Juice Box, and Carbach local. Texas Brewery created the Crawford Bach in affiliation with them. Um, but we're not here to talk about beer, unfortunately. <laughs> we're here to, maybe unfortunately, we're here to talk about Highlander. <laughs> yes. I'll, I'll try to catch us up on what's been happening in Highlander-verse. Yeah. Um, it's, it's still sort of mysterious what is actually happening, but we've been told by the disembodied voice of Sean Connery that there's basically like a a race of beings that has been wandering among people from the beginning of time um, that are all sort of whatever, battling each other, I guess. So we've got this dude, McLeod, who exists in both present day 1985 and 1536. And 1536 uh, I said Connor McLeod. Yeah. So he's, we've seen him sort of seem like he got almost killed. Yeah. Uh, in a battle in, in the medieval Scotland. He's also battled some dude in a parking garage of a wrestling match. <laughs> in a 1985 lop dude's head off and got captured by the police and arrested. There's a female forensics officer who's found this antique uh, sword. Which she identifies immediately. Immediately. She didn't need to test the age of the metal or anything like that. She just knew exactly what it was. Million dollar antique sword and this dude uh, McLeod happens to be an antique dealer so they think that that that's more than a coincidence right um and there's some evil bastard like huge maniac warlord guy yeah, who, who seems to want to kill McLeod for reasons we don't quite understand correct yet. wearing yeah. a mythical creature skull as a hat he's wearing exactly a, <laughs> yeah. he does he he's does. wearing a, a humongous hamster skull <laughs> as a hat he, <laughs> the saber tooth hamster <laughs> saber tooth <laughs> hamster <laughs> men um are either of you hip to the fact that we're about to get a new willow series yes i know that the trailer's out right yeah it looks are, badass are any of you hip to the fact they're i think rebooting highlander what with the director of john wick Ooh, that sounds awesome. Uh, I'm like, I'm intrigued. They haven't said who would play Highlander or anything like that. I think it's still really early, but I'm intrigued. If nothing else, I'll watch it. At least a few episodes to, to well, give it a taste I like, re yes, reboot something where there's room for, like, vast room for improvement. Yeah, and there like is. this. Yeah, You know, time. don't try to reboot Conan. And this shit, that are like, good. to its credit, I mean, it, it's got the germ, it's got, a germ of something positive. It's got obviously, a germ of something that you want to be in on. Obviously, people are intrigued by the concept because it's been done yeah. and done and it's done. It's ubiquitous. It's ubiquitous. Yeah. So the action for this episode opens at a police station. 
a cop knocks on a window to communicate something to that featured asshole who was roughing up <laughs> McLeod in the Madison Square Garden parking garage right outside. They're just like dick flexing with each other, like yeah. staring he's each like, other down. He's staring McLeod down, who at first is just staring straight ahead, but then he like turns to glare right back, and that look seems to give the dude pause because he's like, oh, okay, never mind, I didn't mean to do that. So someone comes in, which breaks the tension. It's Frank and Walt. That's the lieutenant who were like, and the detective it who is, were like yeah. monitoring okay. the scene. He tripped Frank over the Walt. decapitated body. That guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So Frank is carrying the sword that they found under the car that uh-huh. Brenda found, now in an evidence bag and some other shit. They had a sword-length evidence bag. Thank God. That's what they, that's what they keep bloody umbrellas in. Yeah, do you okay. think they just like took it and put it in the umbrella sack that's at the front door and they were like, this is good enough. <laughs> this Tape is it off. Fine. It's evidence. Yeah, I don't, I don't get the feeling that Frank much cares about it. He's just like, just ambling towards retirement. Uh-huh. So anyway, he sits, tosses a photo on the table, and asks McLeod if he's ever seen the guy in the picture. McLeod looks and shakes his head no. Frank says the guy's name is Vatslek or Vatslek. He's a Polish national who had his head cut off in Jersey two nights ago. He asks McLeod, you ever visit Jersey? McLeod's like, not if I can help it, which not is kind of funny. Not if I can help Yeah, it. not if I can help it. What? So, like, where, where are you from? So I know so that ask- it's supposed to be that, like, we're thinking that the quickening is like the gathering is happening and people are, are coming closer. I like to just imagine also that there was just a beheading that took place in New Jersey. And like, yeah. They're in looking New, for like, something, well, but it's like, Oh, two beheadings. Well, it seems like it might be connected. So asshole cop says to Nash slash McLeod, <laughs> you talk funny. And where are you from? <laughs> and McLeod's like lots of different places. Yeah. Well, now is the time. Well, now is a time yeah. to just. What's the deal with that fucker's accent? With, well, he he's like, you know, I don't. I, I made him southern. I don't know why. I think just because I think no, no, the, the it's cop, impossible. The to cop say sound it. came off like a southern. Oh, you got a pretty mouth, boy. Yeah, exactly. It's like, like that shit. But what's up with uh, Lambert's voice? Yeah, I don't know, man. It's just an indiscernible. Lots of different places. Lots of different places. So, in in some ways, I think it makes sense. Like you could retcon that to be like. You know, I he is. Time. he's from exactly. all different places and his voice is going to change. His accent has faded over the centuries, right? Like to just this generic combination of whatever. Because I think in, when they're in medieval Scotland, he's trying to do a Scottish accent. Yeah. Terrible. So or, I, think it's, I mean, it's bad, I think, but I think there's also the question that linguists would pose if like what Scottish people sound like today is probably not what Scottish people sounded like 500 point. years ago. That's and so maybe point. the accent he has is a 500 year old Scottish accent. I mean, I it's bullshit for this movie. It's stupid. Like that's too much <laughs> thinking, but like they think that people in like the Appalachian mountains have the yeah. accent that Shakespeare had because they were isolated for so long right. that like, they think that they probably carried that a lot That's longer the closest, than the rest of the yeah, English did. I, I've seen that story too. Yeah, it's interesting to think about. We know. Well, well we don't know, and we'll never know. We'll, yeah, never, we'll never know, know. Because, because we can rest assured that Christopher Lambert was not making a conscious choice to no. sound any. Type and this of is way. all of the no. lip service that gets paid to. Why <laughs> does he talk the way he talks? <laughs> so Frank says, "You're an antique dealer, right?" And McCall just says, "Mm-hmm." And Frank puts the sword on the table and asks what it is. And McLeod takes a long look and, and says, a sword? That was pretty funny. It's pretty, yeah. <laughs> a sword. And then asshole <laughs> cop tells McLeod, wise up, smart ass. <laughs> <laughs> so Frank tells us that something we're in, it's a Toledo Salamanca broadsword that's worth about a million dollars. And McLeod's like, so what? And Frank says, I've got a theory that Nash McLeod went down to the garage to buy the sword from this guy who 
he and he tries to bait him into saying the guy's name. McLeod's too smart and's like, I don't know the guy's name. And Frank then says that the guy was Iman Fazil and that he and McLeod fought over the sword and that McLeod decapitated him. McLeod's like, hey, hey, hey. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, my theory is that Fazil was so upset by the lousy wrestling that he cut off his own head. <laughs> Which is, that's kind of funny. And then the other, the detective, like, thought that shit was hilarious. Yeah, Walt, Walt was eating that shit up. <laughs> well, and they've, they've made the assumption that this sword here was involved, I think. Like, right. his head comes off, they find a sword, there's no blood on it. Right. It could it's not clean. have been the weapon. And so, like, that part always irritates me a little bit of, like, this is not, this is not the murder weapon. So, like. Right. Maybe he tripped and chopped his head off on a car bumper. Who knows? What is that? that what movie is that from? He's like, he fell and cut off his head shaving or something like that. He's like, <laughs> no, no. It's from some movie. Anyway. So yeah, Walt giggles and that annoys Frank. He's like, that's not, it's not funny. So then asshole cop. And this, this cool. sh- is like, he asks McLeod if he's gay to which McLeod responds. Why you cruising for a piece of ass? Yeah. The whole shit turns real homophobic. It's like, yeah. Ooh. Yeah, so asshole cop gets in McLeod's face and gives him his theory, which is that McLeod went down to the garage for a BJ and he didn't want to pay for it, which it's like all of this shit's like weirdly homophobic. Like it's just, it is. It's like ramps it up real quick and it's like, it's supposed to be super, super taboo. And then McLeod tells the asshole cop that he's like, you're sick, which the dude just like decks him, just punches him in the face. (laughs) He did. That was a bridge too far. Don't tell me I'm sick. (laughs) Do not tell me I'm sick. So. They wrestle around for a sec. Walt tries to break it up, but then McLeod punches him backwards. Again, dude, McLeod's just swinging the door wide open for the police to just fucking straight kill him. Well, in just a moment, too, he's going to say something along the lines of, am I under arrest? He should be now after he struck the cop. Uh, Yes. Yeah. Even if the other guy, even if this dude Garfield started it, like, he did just punch the other guy, Walt or whatever, for, for no proper reason. Yeah, so... These shenanigans have gotten the attention of fucking everyone in the precinct. Like the the crooks are all looking That's in, the, the moment, cops are all looking there's in. There's no way you just let this guy walk yeah, out. Yeah, he's after fine. That. Let him go. Let him go. Let him go. He's clean. Apparently, this precinct is only sex workers though, because it's all yeah, like right? women wearing like star shaped sunglasses and sequiny yes. things, and like yeah. just applauding him. And they're like hookers super and into Johns it. only. <laughs> this is the hookers and Johns precinct. Yeah. Also, get the feeling that most of the stuff that happens in this movie happens in a very like consolidated area between somewhere between Madison Square Garden and Chelsea. Like, cause where okay. his antique store is on Hudson. It's like, everything is in with, it's like within a 20 minute walk of each other. What is that? Is, is that hell's, is that hell's kitchen? You think that's I think like I, what Madison they've Square Garden is hell kitchen, hell's kitchen ish. And then his, his uh, office is supposed to be like, Hudson Street is in Chelsea. So Well, that's what I mean. Like, did they choose for the gathering Hell's Kitchen? And we oh, just never, funny. they never that's said good. it. Well, who chooses where the gathering happens? Yeah, that's a great point. It's like, who the fuck knows? There's higher power or something? I, that, that's, yeah, it's like never explained yeah. that it's like, was it, has this been handed down since the dawn of time and then it gets lost and then picked back up that it's supposed to happen at, at an exact moment in history? Anyway, <laughs> we'll never, we'll never get we'll, the answer. We'll never know. I'm okay with so, that. I, I'm okay. Like I'd rather them not try to explain it and make it stupid, which is why the second movie was so bad. Then, <laughs> like, just let let me shut up and enjoy the diehard. As yeah, you will. You shut up and enjoy the diehard. Exactly. So Frank pushes McLeod back. McLeod's he's like, "Hey, am I under arrest or what?" And Frank's like, "No, not yet." So McLeod's like, "We're through." And then Frank, as McLeod's leaving, Frank says. Oh, we're just getting started. Yeah. Uh, so cut to some 
uh, aerial photography of New York at night, a voice on a radio is describing the garage murder, saying the victim hasn't been named yet. So we see a giant land yacht-ish car driving down the street and inside someone wearing some very 80s glam rock wardrobe. He pops a tape in the tape deck and he's like, I know his name. <laughs> and that's the unmistakable voice of Kurgan, who has also traveled to the future we see. Oh, yeah. I, I love he's it. become a big Queen fan. Yeah, he's a huge Queen fan. The song is Give Me the Prize and It Fucks. Yeah, like <laughs> that there's an there's a awesome, guitar solo from Brian May right up top is awesome. Nice. They, they've chosen very different sartorial and aesthetic paths, the Kurgan right. and, um, and McLeod. Like, yeah, definitely. Kurgan Highlander 100% kept the, the punk look through all time. Yeah. And Highlanders dress like John Tesh or something. Somebody would like listen to easy listening music or something. You know what I mean? That's exactly what he's dressed up he as. He fucking loves Michael Bolton. Yes, yeah. he definitely does. Not, maybe not musician John Tesh, but uh, entertainment tonight John Tesh. Yeah, yeah, he's into it. Are either of you familiar with... he? he this guy listens to music that my parents listened to in the late 80s, early 90s. Like People like KT Oslin. And if you're not familiar with that name, go look up... KT Oslin and an artist named Basia, B-A-S-I-A. And and that will clue you. That was some like soft rock pop shit. I mean, mm. it was like lady, <laughs> lady yacht rock is what is what okay. I thought. Yeah. Ooh. So I mean, it's that kind of stuff. And that's what uh that's what uh Nash looks like he listens to. <laughs> so yeah, but this song is harder than most Queen songs, as we've talked about. So we cut to Kurgan checking into a motel under the name Victor Kruger. Which I was trying to figure out, is there some significance to the name? And I wondered too. Somebody was saying they thought it was like the writers thought they were being clever, that Victor is like the winner, right. like, and Kruger is, would, it means warrior. But okay. they were saying, but they, then they said Krieger means warrior, and Kruger is like someone who makes jugs. <laughs> so, so I don't know if they meant... It, it wouldn't surprise me if these writers didn't do their due diligence. No, and, yeah. and all a little sloppy. It. Yeah. Close enough. Yeah, so this is the first time we see him not decked out in his skeleton armor, and he's in like a very, he's a very severe looking motherfucker. And he's got this huge scar across his throat, which we're yeah. like, where did this, did that come from? We'll yeah, find he's like, out. He's got, but... Yeah, he's got his throat slit at some point. The motel doesn't appear to be very nice. The desk clerk looks a little worse for wear, like he's coked up out of his mind. And there's a <laughs> dude in a chair just like smoking and drinking beer. That dude cracked me up. Yeah, he tells Kurgan, the desk clerk does, that he's going to need 20 bucks in advance, and Kurgan slips 20 out of a lot of bills and that perks the desk clerk's interest and he's like oh shit you know let me know if you need some blow or a hooker like i got your back like just dial zero <laughs> okay. where do we think where did kurgan get the dough and the money and everything did you see like steal it from I somebody saw, killed it's a funny thing that i just saw today some tweet thread uh where someone was like how do vampires have so much money <laughs> and I think that it's like when you're alive long enough, you just yeah, know long term investment, to, man. Yeah, you figure out how to play the game and steal people's money. You steal people's shit and okay. sell it or whatever, and you can't die. <laughs> so it's just like you, that's just the way it is. I well, saw a tweet the other day that had said like, you know what? If I was a vampire, if I was that vampire in Twilight that was hundreds of years old, I just wouldn't enroll in high school. <laughs> right? Where else, where else is he gonna meet chicks though? Meet young babes, meet young nubile I, women. I gotta meet my vampire baby mama i guess <laughs> yeah um, so i mean I, I think that like the kurgan definitely steals people's money like we learn later on that like yeah 
McLeod has made long-term investments um, and has a strategy for making his own money. But like, most, most likely Kurgan killed the guy in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. The other beheading victim, we would assume, right? Was and, like he's and, out there probably leaving a trail of bodies. But that's the in thing his wake. too is yeah. that like so Kurgan's out there killing people. What happens to an immortal's body when they die? Because we definitely know well, that he Fazil's gets enveloped. was still there. Okay, so it's still right? there. So the body is still there. So it, he read, it, but all it the emits power its, it emits its quickening, yep. which the other immortal absorbs. We guess, it and seems, then but the, yeah. the shell is left there. Okay, so he's he's out and about in the tri. It'd be cool if the body sort of like shriveled, decomposed, like yeah. you know, because it's thousands of years old, right? What's mm. happening to me? Yeah. <laughs> he chose. Poorly. He chose poorly. <laughs> so the the dude, I love that the drug dude to the chair gives us a weird. He's like, "Lucky Strike Tobacco commercial." There's your product placement. It's like yeah, that, that's the first. It's like they, yeah. oh, it's like this Lucky is Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. Yeah, we got that. We got that close up Coke can at the beginning where he stepped that's on that. That's true too. Yeah, that's true too. And the cork's like, "Hey, don't talk to guests." That was such a weird moment that I loved in the movie because yeah. it was just interesting. It appears to be the one and only film appearance of Prince Howell, who was that that dude in the chair, the black dude. I, lo- I would love to know his story. Like, was yeah. he's, was That's he... right, Mr. Kruger, Lucky Strike means smooth tobacco. It, Whatever. What? Like, what the fuck? Huh? Huh? So... We cut to Kurgan's room where he's unpacking, and he opens <laughs> a suitcase revealing his sword, which requires assembly. That's it's not right. a full tang blade, we guess. Which is surprising to me that this motherfucker's like, why would he be cautious enough to have a blade that needs disassemblage? Well, that's just not a f- what you want in a sword either. Like that's no, fucking it's like terrible that design. Yeah, it's gonna come it's apart. It's gonna break in it's the middle of a fight. In your hands. Yeah. It doesn't. You want seem... one solid piece of metal. It looks fucking cool though. Yeah, and it, I, th- I think yeah. that the only thing about it is that it's like. Something that people are like, oh shit, yeah, look at that fucking sword. It comes Put apart. It together. That's badass. And again, it's like it's like every movie that we talked about, it's like you get to dress your G.I. Joe or here's here's your G.I. <laughs> Joe's fucking uh Well, if you're a Highlander though, if you're an immortal, don't you want to be ready for battle at all times? Not like, hold on, let me put my sword together. No, time, time, time out here. I gotta put my sword together. We're all fine here now. <laughs> Um, anyway, but yeah, I thought that was, do- I thought that was weird. I did think though, when he starts like whatever practicing around yeah, the room, he's like doing a montage. Clancy a Brown montage. had some pretty sweet moves. Yeah, yeah. I would say of all the moments in the movie where I would believe that anyone kind of had some training as to what they were supposed to be doing with the blade. This is the only scene in the movie where I was like, okay, he's practiced. Yes. Right? Someone he's worked with. Someone's trained him. Yeah, and and it's unsurprising that it's Clancy Brown because I kind of get the feeling that he's a guy that probably goes for it, like he's yeah. one of those kind of actors. Yeah. He's he straight up refused to be in the second movie because he read the script and it was so bad that he was like, "No, you can't pay me enough money to do this." Oh wow! So good for him. Like I, I think he was like, "I'll do shit for money and I'll do great stuff for nothing." And he considered this to be something that was like worth doing for a low paycheck because. At least according to what I what I was reading. Um, Oddly enough, Sean Connery's standards were not as high as he was like, I'm there. I'm in there. Well, maybe I don't know. Maybe at this point in his career, he kind of because later on in his career, Connery was noted for saying, like, I only take jobs that like if I read the script and it's something that I want to do. And I wonder if he read this and was like. I and, and then I wonder how much stronger it would have been if a stronger actor had played the Highlander. 
oh yeah, it could have been good in the yeah. when you're reading the script, and then you're like, oh, you're putting me with this fuck, uh, like this novice. And then Connery had probably already said, yeah, I'll do this because it was that time he was later late in his career. I don't know who could have who would have been the man to play that part better, but they're they were out there, that's for sure, definitely out there. You'd think, yeah. They had to have been. But anyway, Harrison Ford could have played this and done a. He did a Scottish accent in fucking uh, <laughs> Last Crusade. <laughs> the tapestries. The tapestries. <laughs> if you are Scottish law, then I am Mickey Mouse. So anyway, yeah. So unsurprisingly, Clancy Brown looks like he knows how to handle himself with a sword. During all this, he stops to stare at his sword, and he's like, "At last, the gathering." Then flicks a switch, and two additional little. Sur- Surprise blades pop out of the cross guard. Like that, uh, I want that Wolverine sound effect. What yeah. is the one? Yeah. Snick, 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 snick. It's where Kylo, so, Ren, Kylo Ren's uh, lightsaber idea came yes, from. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. So he is so jazzed about whatever the gathering is that he appears to have ordered some companionship for the evening. Uh, and this is the most 80s looking prostitute ever. Yeah. And she has come calling. And if you pause, and I love this attention to detail, that if you pause it when she is like standing in the doorway, she's got like fingerprint bruises, bruises on her, her arm. Arms. And I was yeah. like, damn, that's I dark. noticed that too. And I was like, is that just, is that's that, dark. was that real or was that great production design? I think that that is, that was production. De- what, Andrew, what do you think? Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I do think that she was a freebie. I think that the guy at the front desk sent her up because yeah. he asks about her <laughs> later on. So I don't, I don't know necessarily yeah. if the Kurgan orders a prostitute for himself. Send me your finest whore. He definitely, he definitely seems like the kind of guy who doesn't pay for it. If he can take it. Um, oh, so well, maybe, well, I mean, the guy said, did like, he said, just call like anything you need, call me. So maybe yeah. Kurgan did call down and send say, up. like, all right, send her up. Candy. Yeah. She was kind of had it going on. The actress who did the role was named Corinne Russell. And she was like a video vixen. She was okay. like in all these, in all these hair metal music yeah. videos, I think, which, the the director Mulcahy he like lived in that music video right. world, probably, so he yeah, probably, probably had worked with her or something. I was gonna say that looks like the kind of woman slept with every member of Motley Crue. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Well, I love that she she didn't knock. She just opens the door because this is that kind of hotel. She just comes right in, and I love the shot of like like the split screen thing of like Kurgan's eye in the foreground with her like blurred out in the background. Yeah. That was some very cool work. And she's like, "Yeah, hi, I'm Candy," and he says, "Of course you are. Of course you are." So she closes the door, and one can only imagine what happens from there. I, I, full like I, I was like, well, she's he's gonna kill her. She's dead, me. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. So, uh-huh. and we'll talk about this later. But I was like, well, she's dead. We'll never see her again. So, we cut back to the police station where Brenda is checking something out under a microscope. A lab tech comes in and tells her that the coroner found pieces of metal in the dead guy's wound and on his clothes. Cut to a dot matrix printer slowly spitting out some numbers and figures, science and progress. And Brenda's like, that can't be right. Like, takes one look at something, uh, yeah. absorption, whatever, two point, whatever, blah, blah. For now, yeah, we're left wondering what it is she's seen. But yeah, yeah it's like the science is wrong for Brenda. Do we think so, that there's any sort of computer aided metallurgy that is happening yeah, in no. the forensics department of New York city? Uh, yes. There's no database. You put the metal fragments in and this thing spits out how old it is, how many times uh, the metal was folded. Oh, I see. How many times the sword was, the metal was, yeah, it's, yeah. it's fucking insane. I mean, it, at, yeah. at best you could probably like blast it with some light and get a, like maybe that's what it is of like absorbance is like how some, much like, it yeah, reflects. Remote but, sensing. Like, 
the amount of detail that she gets in the script later on about like folded metal and those kinds of things are just absurd. The, the exact year it was made. Yeah, it's bullshit. Um, we can all agree on that. So we get another cut and we see that McLeod has returned to the garden to get his sword from whatever the fuck that hiding spot was. Some lighting yeah, picture or whatever. I would have thought there would still be police presence there. Like, yeah. is this like the next night? I, I would Everything moves very fast in this movie, right? Yeah. Honestly, McLeod's dressed exactly the same. He is even later on after this scene that had me wondering, like, I think he's not been back home. Right. Just as he pulls the sword down, we hear footsteps and see a flashlight beam. And if you thought it was going to be Brenda, you're right. <laughs> I uh, would also think Brenda would have gone with a police escort. I don't yeah, think she just no wanders way. in by herself no with way. a flashlight. Yeah. Nope. Not in 1985 New York, friends. Yeah. So McLeod ducks behind a pillar while Brenda makes her way over to the crime scene with a metal detector. The big one you'd have at the beach. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, that seems reasonable. Like, she she knows she's looking for metal fragments. That like was state-of-the-art, probably, like, but does she just have that? Is that part of the her, forensics? When you saw her silhouette coming down the ramp, she, she was not, she was carrying, not carrying a metal detector. She was detector. not carrying the metal detector. <laughs> she may true. have been carrying a big-ass bag with all the pieces that she would need to yeah, assemble. Maybe. Yeah. Um, anyway, she puts that shit together and it starts to beep like crazy when she scans around the spot where McLeod got his blade stuck in the column after he chopped off a Fazil's head. She gets there so, pretty quick. Like, yeah, immediately. <laughs> she's like, well, this is the kind Let of Let me area. check this concrete. She's got column. real good, like, someone needs to check and see if she's an immortal because she's got us. Uh, Peter Tingle herself. So <laughs> she pulls out some shards of metal with some tweezers from the column and drops them in a file. And then a noise like a bottle being knocked over spooks her. So she's like, who's there? And like, she like ducks out. She's, I'm gone. I guess That's that was enough. McLeod again. Just, yeah. Is he clumsy or is he making, I think the noise, he's making on noise to like spook her? I okay. Think. So okay. we cut to, and I've been here, Peter McManus Cafe. Oh, shit. That was like a... It that's a looked, real thing. It looked cool. Peter McManus yeah, Cafe yeah. is okay. an old school Irish pub that's been open since 1936 and is the oldest family run bar in New York City. A Scott Rad. would never go to an Irish pub. Right? They'd be like, fuck this shit. Oh. So they, this was another moment. A big unless he was stalking, unless he was stalking the forensics yeah, officer. Yeah, he follows yeah. Brittany. Which he was. So he was. Fair enough. So, but they have a big ass neon bud sign in the window. Okay. Yeah. So some product placement, but it makes sense that she's there because I checked it and it's a 15 minute walk from Madison Square Garden. Nice. So it's in the neighborhood, but it's also her neighborhood where she lives yeah. apparently because yeah. that's her regular spot. So, but but then I was like, I've been to that bar. That's which so is cool. Badass. Yeah. Love that. So inside, Brenda seems to be a regular and to have just arrived because the bartender like immediately knows her by name and is like, "Do you want the usual?" And she's like, "Yeah, lots of it." And so he brings over a bottle of Hennessy and a and is that a what it was? Yeah. Okay. So he brings her some Hennessy and pours the snifter almost to the top until she's like, that's <laughs> enough. Um, and in the background, someone has entered and we hear McLeod's voice order. And this is egregious. We were talking about this before uh, before we started tonight, but he orders a double Glenmorangie, which is a single malt, but he wants it on the rocks. I'm not that I'm not that into the scotch it would, scene. It would never happen. So you would never scotch if single you, malt. You if always drink it neat. You drink it neat, or you drink it with a drop of water. And at most, somebody would say like, if you're gonna do an ice cube, it, it'd have to be like the tiniest ice cube. Okay, just to open it up, just to like let it breathe. But it's like adding anything to a single malt to apparent like most like professional scotch drinking types is like 
sacrilege. Okay. You don't do that. You just, you're supposed to enjoy it. So for this man who is allegedly from Scotland <laughs> to order a single malt. So anyway, then McLeod's like, just to no one in particular, go to the garden often. <laughs> yes, he was. Yeah. Full creep mode. Both the bartender and Brenda are like whip around and are like, what'd you say? What? Huh? And, he, and he's like, who, me? There was weird I, sound design stuff happening in this because, yeah, it was a lot of overlapping dialogue like a fucking Robert Altman movie or something. Yeah, shit. And, and, he, and he's like, he plays dumb like, I didn't say anything. For being the hero of this movie, like, he's a piece of shit for the whole, like, <laughs> beginning. Like, he seems so, like, he's, he's miserable at a wrestling match, which, like... How can you be miserable at a wrestling match? Wrestling is awesome. If you're not a fan of wrestling, what are you doing there? Yeah. Don't right? go bring it for was else. there. Yeah. <laughs> but, but was like, Fazil there because he's a big wrestling fan? Oh, yeah. I think, he's a no, fan. I, think Fazil, I thought Fazil found him there because he loves to go to the wrestling matches. Yeah. Because yeah. he asks her later, like, don't you go to the circus That's or wrestling? That's so weird. Yeah. That's so weird. But, like, he's a piece of shit then. He's kind of an asshole to the cops, which is fine. Like, they arrested him. And that's what you're supposed to do. But then, like, <laughs> he's kind of being a creepy, creepy asshole well, here to her. He's extra creepy in like, this scene. He's fine. He's gotten his sword back. He's taken his evidence. He's He could just leave her alone. And he pursues her in a way that is not okay. That's a great point. I did not even think about the fact that at this point, there's no reason to follow What's his her. game? Yeah, what's he after here? He fell in love with her instantly. He's down to he's plow, fucking- man. Yeah. So <laughs> this the first time he saw her, right? Was her entering the parking garage. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's just like Thunderstruck. Thunderstruck. Yeah. So anyway, um, whatever he said got Brenda's attention. She walks around the bar to him. She leaves her last swallower a cognac though, which I didn't appreciate. Uh, I was like, okay. damn girl. So she's like, Hey, what the fuck did you say? And he says, Madison Square Garden. Do you go there often? And she's like, Why do you want to know? And asks if he's been following her. Uh-huh. And he says, I'd like to walk you home, Brenda. And And I'd be like, the fuck? Why do you know my name? Menacing stare down after. And I was like, if that shit had worked, I would have had to like reevaluate my whole approach with women. Cause that was, that shit could not have been more threatening. Yeah, She doesn't ask stranger danger, how he knows her name. She seemed like she was considering it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, "Mm, uh, no, I can take care of myself. I guess not. Did either of you notice the creepy source of light blasting into the windows in the middle of the night? Well, I think that happens a lot in this movie. Like the the lighting and and there's a lot of deep stuff. It's like bold cinematography, large, like like big time backlit shit. It's like every everything is is backlit. Yeah, something's going on out like the fucking Batman spotlight shining in through the window. I, I don't and, know if they were like going for some sort of neo noir kind of thing, like in the bar. That's what and, I thought. And like, that, that's but it doesn't have the feel for the rest of it, except for some of those like egregious and bold there are lighting scenes choices. where they're like going fucking full Blade Runner on these scenes. Yeah, and it's yeah. Like, you're conspicuous lighting. Yeah, in some and, scenes. And this was the first time in 1985 that I was like, his hair length keeps changing. It's already changed from the parking garage to this bar. And it's he like, stopped off for a quick hair. Like some, sometimes it looks a little tighter and then other times it looks a little messier. And it's like, what is happening? So maybe I'd you like have walk you particularly productive follicles as a, as an immortal. <laughs> maybe so. Like, maybe every, so. Every 45 minutes to an hour, you need a haircut. 
Yeah, that's a great point. So so he pounds his double single malt whiskey with ice, apparently, and then steps outside the pub looking around warily, puts on his isotoners. We got Freddie Mercury singing about being a prisoner of love inside, inside you, you, which is fucking, that sounds uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a, it sounds like what it's supposed to sound like. Yeah. <laughs> you got that tight booty. Aren't we all? <laughs> um, so... So however, <laughs> so however, Brenda, who's left the barge like just around the corner, like watching him leave. Now she's stalking him. The, the hunter has become the hunted. That's right. <laughs> so as he walks away, uh, McLeod slows for a moment as if, he, and this is the second time, he like feels a presence. It's like, you can't tell what it is, but he's like, oh. and then he starts I moving with a, a presence. Quick. I've not felt since. <laughs> <laughs> so he starts moving with a quickness and Brenda's following at a distance. He ducks around a corner into some kind of, of course, steamy industrial area, right. vaguely industrial area. They went yeah. from like Hell's Kitchen to, I don't know what this is, fucking RoboCop or something. Or, or, or um, a nightmare from Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. It's, it's like we're in someone's nightmare. <laughs> and, and, and like he's looking around like something's wrong. It's the face that he makes for 95% of this movie. Um, Brenda's still following it at a little bit of a distance when suddenly a hand reaches out, covers her mouth, and pulls her off the street. And it's, of course, it's McLeod who tells her, shut, let's just shut up. Straight <laughs> from the Schwarzenegger playbook. Yeah, it's like, like grab like, a woman I'm and tell her to help you. <laughs> Calm grab down. Grab a woman and tell her to shut up. <laughs> you dumb woman, I'm here to help you. I'm a strong man. <laughs> Um, so, but it's too late because a creepy smiling Kurgan is there, motherfuckers. He pops up out of what would have been plain sight right. for them. Yeah. Right. Same as, same as Fassel. Fassel does the yeah. same thing. Like they fucking apparate and he's like, he's, he would have been crouched. He would have been, he would have been crouched. He would have been crouched at their feet and they didn't see him. Kurgan takes a swing with his collapsible sword. <laughs> But McLeod and Brenda duck out of the way in time. Sparks fly, which is great. So we know it's magic. They run toward whatever the steaming pipe setup is that's that's out there in Chelsea. Um, Brenda falls down. McLeod picks up a rope and starts swinging it. I can't tell in the dark if there's something attached to the end of it or if he's just swinging no, a length of rope. rope. Like, okay, great. I couldn't and, tell and, what. What and a it's fucking like, moron. And it's like boat rope also. Like it's, yeah. it's like four <laughs> inches thick. Um, yeah. So it's like huge. But like of it's, all the items to pick up as a weapon around you, like why pick the rope? Well, yeah, every movie you're going to find like a piece of pipe or some chain or some well, rope yeah. just lying around. He availed himself well with the, with the forced entry tool. Like that was the only yeah. time that he's fought with any skill was when he had the fucking pipe. So I'm like, man, maybe you should change to bow staff because well, you should <laughs> rethink your method while they, while they're in the exact same area. So they haven't gone very far. The Kurgan no. stabs the shit out of that water heater looking thing a few times. And then he picks up, <laughs> he picks up a pipe. So the pipe was laying right next to the rope and he chose yes. the rope. They're within steps of one another, but McLeod's like, no, this rope is the thing. The rope this is the, This is the thing. <laughs> I can, I can, and he knows I can decapitate someone with this. No. No, that's like, yeah, what like, am I doing with this That's what rope. I'm saying. This, this is, is useless this is, to me. This is yet another incident in this movie. It's like the rules are clear. Doesn't he have his katana or did he lose it somehow already? He just got it from the garden. Yeah, he just, he must, wait, shit, did he knock it away? I can't even remember. He must have knocked it away. I don't think away. he's had not. it out. 
He, he took it. He took it from the garden. He never takes it back out. Like he should be still so he carrying it. In unless he stashed unless it somewhere he before he went it. in the bar. He, he sprinted back to Nash Antiques and then what? ran back to where she was going to be to prey on Brenda. This fucking <laughs> so, was so weird. So anyway, so when I take her back to my place, I can't have a katana on me. Is that a sword in your pocket. <laughs> is that a is that a four foot katana in your pocket certainly is yeah. wait a minute has that been folded 200 times you bet your booty so mcleod takes off into the sprawling industrial complex yes, with in just the behind. middle of manhattan somewhere yeah. um he inexplicably stops as people are wont to do in this movie and turns to face kurgan again mm-hmm. kurgan swings and misses as everyone in this movie's want to do with their swords and close range weapons. McLeod starts letting him have it with the pipe, which again, I'm like, this is your weapon. My guy, you are skilled with a, with a bow length weapon. You just bash him till his head falls yeah, off. Exactly. So the blows he deals, Kurgan seem to have little effect because Kurgan catches the pipe and then hits McLeod with it several times. Kurgan picks McLeod up and then tells him it's nice to see him again. McCloud says, it's nice to see you too. And <laughs> slams, slams him a couple of times into a radiator or water tank or some damn thing. And then Brenda Young runs up through the steam and yells, stop. Kurgan smacks McCloud in the face and again says, there can be only one. <laughs> Kurgan picks up his sword. McCloud jumps back with the pipe and yells, no. And then clocks. There's like all of this yeah. choreography is like, I don't understand what's happening. It is this mayhem. It's like it, in, incoherent. He mayhem. clocks Kurgan with it a couple of times as they start dueling for real. Now a helicopter shows up out of fucking <laughs> out nowhere. Of nowhere. Yeah. Where are these cops coming from? And a voice over a loudspeaker says you on the ground, yes. just like this. And I'm like, Hey, you, on the ground. This is the police. Hey guys, okay. uh, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> exactly. It's like, uh, what you got? What are you buddies up to? Tells them to put down their weapons and put their hands in the air. It's like, how the shit did the cops even know they were there? They were there instantly. The and, then, and then Kurgan again uh, is like, there's some guys sword fighting over there. Send the helicopter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what? So Kurgan's like, another time, Highlander. And again, he just runs off for no reason. Yeah, it's like, I'll find you. And so. Everyone runs off and the comically puzzled voice from the helicopter says, hey, hold it right there. Come on back here. I, <laughs> what the? Half, half this movie was like ADR'd. Like half the movie was recorded after the filming was done, I oh, think. Oh, man. Hey, like, don't worry. It was away. really bad later when we got Connery and Highlander oh, together. Because yeah. I'm like, this is, this is just dialogue that was shoehorned in after the yeah, fact. Yeah, like this whole scene has felt so clunky. And again, like just... Kurgan being like, "All right, well, that's where I feel, gotta go." It feels like a, it feels like a canon movie. Yeah, I feel like canon. These dudes had their hands in this shit. Yeah, their fingerprints were all over it. I promised you, their <laughs> names aren't on it. Yeah, but they so, blew their wad all over it. Oh, big time! So <laughs> their DNA the, is on it. <laughs> uh, so out on the street, Brenda stops in the cloud and is like, "Who the fuck was that?" She also wants to know what the bad guy meant by Highlander and the phrase, there can be only one. She was pay- playing very close attention from like, Every- yards away. Well, yeah. she's asking all the questions that we're asking ourselves. Like, yes, viewers, please. Like, yeah, we like, know yes, nothing. Go about- on. But McLeod's like, shut up. Shut up and go home. And never follow me again. Double standard. Yeah, except that following- I followed you. That's why we're here. <laughs> yes. It's like what is what? So as as he turns to leave, the noise from a loud truck causes Brenda to whip around, and then we get like a another one of those like 
fading through an object transitions, and we're back in Scotland in 1536. The badass priest who who was like slitting people's throats in the in yeah. the battle in the first act, the, the Judas um, priest, if you will. Yeah, the, <laughs> <laughs> we're, we'll call him Judas priest from now on. So the Judas priest, Mrs. McLeod, and McLeod cousins are all hanging out, looking unsettled, and discussing how the real McLeod could have survived what was sure as shit a mortal wound. Yeah, right. At that time, there's no way anyone probably could have survived that without like infection no setting in chance. Yeah. yeah. That was like all types of organs were probably fucked up inside you. So one of the things that always confuses me about this part of the movie is that he seems to have been fined for more than just like he got up off of his deathbed that morning and like now right. they're at the pub. Like it's, it seems like this has been going on day, for a little while and they've been discussing how much of a freak he is for surviving well, that stab wound. I, I don't know because based on everything else that happens in the movie, I, I got it because they say it's like you were on your deathbed last I, night. I do. I feel like it's supposed to be the next day, but yeah, you, they're talking about him like he's been up and around for a little while. Yeah. yeah and, and, and probably if this had happened in real life, they wouldn't have all adjourned themselves to the neighborhood tavern to talk about it. They would be in like the, in the well, kitchen why would in his castle wife not or something be at his side or right whatever. exactly it's like why is she gossiping with the cousins <laughs> yeah the two cousins would have been off somewhere <laughs> we, else being like how is he getting better and the wife we, still like sitting by his side or something we also get the we, we get the feeling that his wife is not entirely like mentally settled like something's up with her there with, yeah, is i would never in a million years have thought she was his wife yeah i had no idea this is the first time i've ever put that together i thought she was like the town whore or something yeah so that that was like watching this movie the first time for the first time and in this scene which we're going to outline here in a second i was like she's a bad guy right she, like kurgan has planted her she's trying to bring about his death right very very but then also it's like just very like super christian dark ages like yeah like witchcraft bullshit so anyway the missus is quick to say that mcleod must be possessed like got the devil in him yeah and at that moment a smiling mcleod enters the tavern or wherever they are and everyone in the room's like oh shit and like turns around to stare at him but i've never seen people so unhappy that their friend has miraculously cheated death yeah, like, it's, the superstition vibe is strong. So everything I know about the devil too means that he's gonna save people who should right. have otherwise <laughs> died. <laughs> exactly. So everyone in the room stops talking, like turns to stare at him, and he immediately gets like self conscious. He senses the tension, slowly makes his way over to his compatriots, and he's like, "Hey, what's up?" And Dougal, the 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 brunette cousins, like <laughs> you being up and at him when you were almost dead the night before is putting everyone on edge. Yeah. And McLeod's like, would you rather that I was dead? Which is a fair question. <laughs> I feel like the answer is kind of. Yeah. yeah. And then, <laughs> and then his wife is like, well, yeah, you must be a devil worshiper because none of this makes sense. She like, went from being like the horniest person on earth to wanting him dead pretty well, quick. Well, she loves the Lord, so. Yeah. This whole scene, um, this whole scene reminds me I can't get it out of my head of the scene where the like the pythons show up with the witch. Yes. Um, yes. But <laughs> like it's got that whole that's that is the She's got a wart. Yeah. She turned me into a newt. It's got I that got feel. Yeah, it's, it's exactly what it feels like. It feels very python-esque. So, um a murmur runs to the tavern at this mention of like being in league with the devil. And someone tells wifey that you shouldn't say such shitey things. 
But then Dougal jumps up and is like, no, 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 no. Yeah, he probably is in league with the <laughs> devil. No, this makes sense to me, probably because he was banging the wife. And that would be an interesting plot point. Oh, does that yeah. seem right to you for the time period? Like, yeah, people totally. Would just be like, totally. Could it not just as easily be that this is a miracle from God? It should be, because <laughs> he's uh, probably a devout yeah. Catholic or whatever the fuck. Yeah. But anyway, McLeod is stricken rightly by all this and says, hey, We've been buddy. We've been kinsmen. We're family for twenty years. And I'm like, wait, they're supposed to be in their twenties. Yeah, wait, he's supposed to be in his twenties at the least. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All these, everyone in this room is forty. So anyway, um, Dougal says that Connor McLeod was his kinsman, but I don't know what the fuck you are, and that's that's harsh, bro. That is rough. So there's more tittering in the tavern. Then McLeod walks over, kneels down next to Angus, who seems to be like the only level head in the room, and he's like. Hey, bud, but like immediately gets told it's like, hey, you should, you Just should, leave. you should probably get out of here. Yeah, right. So McLeod says he ain't going nowhere, but then someone breaks a jug over the side Instantly, of his head. Instantly, someone was at the, someone was at the ready with the jug. Like, fuck, no, man, fuck this dude, <laughs> fucking kill you. So it's like a barroom brawl yeah, type thing. The mob drags him outside, and he is trussed up with an ox yoke. And they're just beating the fuck out of it. They definitely took the time to tie him up to that yoke rather than just beating his ass and like throwing <laughs> right. him out of town. Why? Right. Why take the, the time fuckers. to strap his arms to it? it? Those fuckers were bloodthirsty, though. I think man. That yeah. it's one of those things where they were probably gonna like, like probably draw him with that yoke, probably mm, or something sure. like that, and just getting like the first step of any bloodthirsty murder at the time was parading the asshole through town and pelting them with shit and rocks and yeah. that's what's happening so people take turns beating kicking throwing rocks there's lots of christ imagery at this point of him like carrying the yeah, cross sure. beam um at one point he falls they haul him up and Dougal's standing there ready to get his licks in but angus saint that he is yanks Dougal back he's like you know mcleod's our cousin and this one crazy looking dude <laughs> Jumps in there and just starts <laughs> headbutting McLeod over and over again. There's yes, so many he headbutts in this movie. Uh, Wrestlers on the turnbuckle. Yeah, yeah, right? So then Angus is like, hey, there's not going to be any burning today. Let's just let him go. Instead, we're going to banish McLeod. But then... There's Ms. a long silence. Yeah, then Mrs. McCall's like, fuck that. Let's burn him. <laughs> fuck that. We got to kill him. <laughs> Let's kill him now. That's what I'm saying. Is like, It would have been amazing if, if we'd seen some element of her also being immortal or being corrupted and, and, and then, by and then like yeah. had like used her as a pawn like it would have paid that off more instead of her just being insane she just yeah. flipped on him some explanation for like why she turned on him so quickly right so angus is like hey can you walk and mcleod's like yeah I'll so i'll bloody walk out of here <laughs> yeah i'm gonna get up so angus is like you know get out of here while there's time so McLeod says, I'm not going to forget this. And also, that's that's sad. Like, I wish that there had been some moment later in the movie where that had been paid off because, man, G Cosmo, great moment there from him, like with a yeah. sad smile and nod. Like, that, I wish that there had been something else there. Like, if, if McLeod had been able to visit Angus on his deathbed or something, something to pay that off. Like, yeah. I'll never forget the kindness that you paid me or, or, you know, whatever. That would have been a good scene to have later in like visiting him. Yeah. So we don't get that. No. Nah, Fuck it. We're not time for that. <laughs> this shit. movie's not that detailed. So he does not, however, he, uh, he cuts McLeod free because the next thing we see is McLeod like walking up the hillside away from the castle. The mob's like still 
Like he's he tied didn't take to that the yoke. he didn't take the yoke. Yeah, he's off. like still like tied to the yoke. <laughs> Fucking what? Probably so, got to be hard. Your hands are both tied. Like how's he gonna right. get it off? It's gonna be uh, rough out there. He's gotta for go him. scratch it against a rock or a tree like a bear until it comes <laughs> off. <laughs> this lasts on until the night, but I guess he finally gets loose because we see him like looking sad and forlorn, like leaning against a rock. It sometime. could also be years have passed. That's that's also true. Yeah. That's the, also true. The, the yoke rotted <laughs> the off. The yoke rotted away. <laughs> he didn't need. So that's the thing too. Does he have to eat? He doesn't need to eat. Does he? I don't know. No, he doesn't. Nah, it can't have been that long because he would have been very, he wouldn't have been as confused later well, on that's the when thing Ramirez too. is explaining to him what's going on. We we get the point that they can, like physical harm can befall them. So he could emaciate to the point of being like just a skeleton, one would think. <laughs> okay. Right? Yeah. But you can't I, drown, I guess. I yeah, don't know. It's hard to that's know. That's the thing too. It's like, would you, would you resurface like, waterlogged and your blood vessels all burst and he's shit. He's all under, underwater like I can breathe. It's like, well, yeah. probably yeah, not that's the that. Thing too. Can't, like it, he can't breathe. He's not a fish man, but like <laughs> it seems like man. it seems like his Aquaman. animus, whatever makes him immortal is all that he really needs and that will carry him forward. But like why he's only 20 years old There's compared no to some of the others. Yeah, but that's the thing. Well, I'm just talking about like the types of wounds and deaths they're able to sustain because if one guy gets his throat slit and bears a scar forever and then you drown and you drown in your body bloats, your blood vessels burst and yeah. stuff, and you are physically dead. Is it like the healing you, factor? Yeah, is there, is there can, a Wolverine-like you, healing factor? You can take damage, but you recover quickly. And, it, and is, only, is scar tissue the only thing that shows? Like if it's internal organs rupturing, that's that doesn't count. I don't like, know. I mean, anyway. and they may not, they may not even be in there. He may just be an empty carcass full of Im- <laughs> immortality. Uh, immortality sack. So <laughs> his his sad sack face leaning against the rock <laughs> fades into a mural of the Mona Lisa on the side of a building in 1985. That was a good dissolve. Another like that. Great, was a good dissolve. another great transition. Yeah, yeah, this is so far. They've all been aces. We're we're into it. We see McLeod um, still wearing his goofy ass outfit from the night before, with what looks like now longer hair, and he's blearily walking down the sidewalk in Chelsea. And he rolls up to a very very nice looking building with R Nash antiques painted on the windows, and lets himself into a very swanky office slash apartment situation upstairs in his apartment he grabs a drink opens a set of doors and walks into a very strangely appointed round room with a stained glass skylight surrounded by artifacts from various cultures we see greek asian phoenician it almost seems like his battle trophies though it's like a lot of war like war memorabilia yeah that split level couch situation too yeah that horseshoe like i would uh that it seemed like a place where orgies happen. Let's just call it. <laughs> let's call it what it is. With so many weapons around, that seems pokey and dangerous. <laughs> so he sits with that same dopey, frustrated look on his face, and we hear the sound of a bell or some such thing, metal on metal, and we cut right to a blacksmith in a kilt working on a horseshoe. It seems we've jumped back <laughs> in time again, and we see that it's Connor. Connor McLeod has become unstuck in time my friends oh yeah that's one of the good things about this movie is the time jumps yeah it's i think it's it's what makes this movie super interesting yes it's sort of like it feels like time bandits like another movie with sean connery interestingly yeah 
Um, so a pan up shows us that the, the blacksmith is McLeod, who's taken up residence at a different Scottish castle. Which is we, like, was the castle under construction or I, what? It's just a very small. It was cool I feel like it, it's it like a, tall, it, it's like a countryside fortification. It was supposed to be just probably a watchtower for that okay. part of the world. So we see a blonde woman, Heather, exit the very narrow tower and walk over to the blacksmith shed. The tower like seemed real. When yeah. I saw yeah. a wide shot, I'm like, that's a map painting. Then you see the close-ups, and you're like, did they build this thing? Or does this exist in Scotland somewhere? It looks legit to me. Yeah. We I'd- should mention it's it's 1541 now. I don't know if that's right. ever, like, mentioned in the right. film, but it's five years have passed. Yeah, he, he, mentions, he mentions it later on that it's been five years. Okay, okay. Yep. Or, or Ramirez does. Someone mentions Someone does? it okay. shortly, shortly. But uh, anyway, yeah. So Heather comes out, and she's like, Hey, do you want some pie and ale? Hell and he's yeah. like, what kind of pie are we talking about? Yeah. <laughs> That's the dream. A simple life, a beautiful woman offering you pie and yeah. ale. Yeah, Heather's hot. He picks her up, embraces, they laugh, they kiss. He dunks his head in a barrel of water to wash himself. Disgusting. That's their drinking water. That's yeah, 100% exactly. their drinking I was thinking the same water. thing. I was like, And he just man. put his lice riddle head right into it. <laughs> she had just it's, said, like, oh, you're filthy. And he's yeah, like, well, let me, let me contaminate our water yeah. here. Yeah. This is fine. Um, cut to them having just made it next to some rocks fully, while fully clothed. Fully oh, yeah. clothed sex. If you're doing it outdoors, though, that no, may be the I way. Mean, hold. Kilt on kilt, you're fine. Yeah, just lift a skirt, lift a skirt. Yeah, you have <laughs> access at both ends. And you're keeping the top half warm. Yeah. <laughs> you're preserving circulation. <laughs> so um, he, <laughs> she says, we can bone forever if you want. And he's like, I, I want that. Um, so they start to kiss again, and then suddenly a man on a horse jumps directly over them. The camera pans up to reveal Sean Connery, and I'm like, the only thing that I know about this movie is that Sean Connery is in it. And I'm like, finally, where have you been for the first 35 minutes of this movie? He showed up like the most swashbuckling cock blocker ever. Yeah, I was <laughs> like, like, he, is like, he is looking swashbuckling as shit. Yep. Well, and he waited. <laughs> he's he's been watching in- for a while. You know it. Yeah, he's- right? He's been out there and be like, oh, crank one out. I'm gonna get a good view. Ver- <laughs> he's going five, four, three, two, hiya! <laughs> he's decked out like floppy hat covered in peacock feathers, gold trimmed crimson like velvet doublet with peacock feathers everywhere and a pearl earring, a dangling oh, yeah. earring. <laughs> so he greets them, introduces himself as Juan Sanchez Villalobos Ramirez. Chief metallurgist to King Charles V of Spain. And he's like, I'm at your service. The Amazon Amazon went through the trouble of, of telling us that he was only known as Charles V in Germany and that in Spain he would have been Charles I. Interesting. Charles is not a very Spanish name either. He would have been Carlos. Carlos. He, he's like Juan King Juan Carlos or something like that. Fucker was a long way from home, though, uh, yeah, Ramirez. Right? So they're both like, the fuck? McLeod's like, what do you want? Ramirez points and tells him, you. And then smiles <laughs> that that fucking Sean Connery fucking smile that makes people absolutely swoon and drop their panties. Like that look on his face, I'm like, yeah. man, that is a handsome man. I was reading about how hard Connery had worked on his Spanish accent, and I'm like, what? What? <laughs> what? No. What Spanish accent? What? Was what you read that he did not work hard on it? <laughs> he sounds the most Scottish he's ever sounded in anything. I'm like, he sounds like Sean Connery. <laughs> I mean, that's 
insane. <laughs> well, I did not read that, and that is like, nuts. Huh? Okay, Spanish, sure. As an avid listener to the podcast, there are many moments where I've heard you gentlemen talk about how screenwriters would change lines or change plot points to better suit Arnold, whether there was no romantic chemistry or right. he couldn't mumble out a bunch of vowels and consonants in the right order, and so they'd just make it whatever he needed it to be. This seems like one of those opportunities where they should have made him any other, like, you know, the Kurgan is a people that was like ancient that doesn't exist. Why why not give him an origin story that does not link him directly to a people that we know with an accent? We know like anything could have been. I, I think it's probably to avoid too many Scotsmen is the thing is like, we've already got a Highlander, but then like it's gonna, change, it's about change. to get more weird what though if, when he's if, like, "Well, actually, I'm from Egypt." Yeah, yeah fuck fucking it. Like, what? What if, what if they had and just hear me out? Called it the Templar, and made because yeah. it would have been perfectly, uh, perfectly plausible for Christopher Lambert with that voice to be Teutonic, sure, to be an ancient Templar and just call it the Templar. They would have rallied a a lot more um, right wing crazies to the cause of this movie, <laughs> um, but then make. Connery the Highlander. We ain't changing the title now. Right. But wouldn't the, I don't know, the Templar sounds pretty cool too, but not as cool as the Highlander. Yeah, I don't know. But you said too many Scotsmen and that is a sitcom I totally would watch if we can get that greenlit. <laughs> Ramirez dismounts, a storm's a Bruin. He says he knows who McLeod is and what's happened to him. He also lets us know that McLeod's been on the lam for five years. Lightning strikes and McLeod doubles over in pain for no uh, reason whatsoever. It's like a disturbance in the force. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So McLeod tells Heather to get inside. That was weird. Yeah. Get inside, woman. And he like, got a little rough with her. Yeah. Well, like the way that he communicates with women is not at all like. He went like abusive genteel. boyfriend mode, I yeah. feel like. So we cut to McLeod now standing solo on the hillside and being struck by lightning several times. Was that supposed to be a straight cut or was that like a time lapse? Did, I, I feel like it's supposed to be cut? that moment. But he's I thought like, so too. There was just no coherence in the editing. No, yeah. None at all. So he's like crying out but is otherwise unharmed. Ramirez it's, is like, the sensation you're feeling is called the quickening. But like, I don't understand here. It's not the quickening. Like... Did somebody just get beheaded and it just so happened to be the time that, that Ramirez shows up? But Ramirez didn't they, tell him it's verbatim. It's like, this yeah, is he the says, quickening. This is the quickening. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, it, there's like there's so many weird things that happen in this thing that don't seem to align with the other lore of this story of, like, you get the power when you chop somebody else's right. head off. Right. But, like, are they just assuming some power? Otherwise, he's just a man on a cliff being struck by lightning. Right, exactly. It's like, it's like no battle's been fought, and it's like, I don't know what's supposed to... Like, yeah, so McLeod's like, hey, who are you? And Ramirez is like, we're the shame. We're brothers! We're brothers! So, hard cut back right. to New York in the 80s. Action picks up in Brenda's precinct. She walks into Frank's office area where Frank's hanging up from a call in which... A guy says that his Vietnamese brother or Vietnamese neighbor is eating a dog. It was fucking weirdly racist. Yeah, it's like very strange racism. Also, isn't this Lieutenant Frank, he's like a homicide detective, right? He wouldn't, yeah. That's not his beat, dog-eating neighbors. No. Nah. no. So, yeah, like he wouldn't be answering the phone, just no, answering calls. No, it's just calls. weird. All the cops so, are pieces of shit in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Brenda starts, like, riffling through a, a file on Frank's desk, which he takes from her. It's like, hey, that's confidential. And he's like, how are things going down in forensics? And she says... 
that shit's dull and asks if they can grab lunch. And he's like, only if you're buying. And she's like, yeah, I'm buying. And he's like, done. So as they're walking out, she's like, oh shit, I forgot my purse. And he's like, I'll meet you outside. And she's, she goes straight to his desk, opens the file on the Fazil murder case that's just lying on his desk. Right. And she sees, um, looks forever at McLeod's mugshot. The eight, wait, but there would be no mugshot. Yeah. He wasn't processed and arrested. Uh, I don't this, know. He's, he's got the eight by 10 glossy headshots. Two, two, two directions. Um, uh, McLeod slash Nash or whatever in there. Where do you even get those? I don't know. So Maybe those we, are headshots. Maybe he's looking to, <laughs> looking to, looking to start acting on the side. We already know, we already know that time. he can't. He can only make that face. That's his resting face. So we cut back over to Nash Antiques where McLeod sharpening his katana. How is the sharpening technique? Was it better than the than, It's uh, better than, than ones that we've seen just because he's sort of like going all the way up the blade. Okay. Um, again, the apartment is fucking sick. That place costs $10 million or more nowadays. Yes, probably. indeed. $20 like million. 20-foot ceilings. Yeah, and, I mean, it's, it's amazing. In, in several floors. Um, he takes a break from the sword to pick up a book lying next to him on the couch titled A Metallurgical History of Ancient Sword Making, <laughs> which is a great title. The thick-ass book. He flips it over, and lo and behold, Bryn- Brenda J. Wyatt from Forensics is the author. She's the foremost expert in the field. Yep. This some shit, you guys. <laughs> nope, nobody, nobody bought that book, so she had to get a real job. Oh my she god! She also she looked a lot more stylish and attractive on the dust jacket well, than her to. than you her look. To, you though have to, yeah. you have to go out and get the professional headshots. They really, made, primp, so. they really primp you up, send you to a glamour yes. shot studio. <laughs> so McLeod sets the book down and has this very amused look on his face, as if he cannot believe his luck <laughs> that the forensics expert working on his case is also an expert in ancient swords and shit. That's totally normal. Yeah, I was just reading this. I met her. Fuck, I, I know her. Love this book. I have so, an extensive library. That's As why he, he followed her. He was like, "I yeah. recognize you. How do it's I like, know you?" It. Oh yeah, I've read this. I've read this book several times. So my metallurgy so book. Yeah. As he grins like an idiot, we hear a Connery voiceover. Sometimes McLeod, the sharpest blade is not enough. Also, did you notice how dirty his fucking fish tank was? Yeah, That's all yeah. I can notice. So, yeah. You really should take better care of those we, fish. We, McLeod looks back at his nasty fish <laughs> tank, and we get a transition to a lock in Scotland where Ramirez is teaching McLeod via the Miyagi method of balance by having him stand up in stand a rowboat. Stand up on that rowboat, son. McLeod tells Ramirez that he looks like a woman and calls him a stupid haggis. It's weird. Ramirez is like, what's haggis? Which is great coming from a Scottish person. Yes. Um, McLeod tells him what haggis is, and Ramirez is like, that sounds nasty, then lets out a sneeze, which rocks the boat, and McLeod freaks out because he apparently can't swim. Then he calls Ramirez a Spanish peacock, but Ramirez is like, hey, I'm Egyptian, which I'm like, the fuck is happening in this <laughs> in this movie? Connery looks even less Egyptian than he does Spanish, you yeah. know? Well, so he's, I will say th- he's Spanish in that he is the metallurgist for the king and has right. a Spanish name. He never right. said he was from Spain. Yeah. That's also true. So <laughs> McLeod says that, hey, I thought you said you were from Spain and like calls him a liar. And then Ramirez berates McLeod telling him that he knows shit and even less about his own potential. So then he flips McLeod out of the boat. McLeod screams like a wuss. He's like, I'm drowning. Ramirez rows away from the drowning. McLeod's like, yeah. you can't drown because you're immortal. So, he also starts singing some type of like hymn. 
I wish he'd started singing farewell and adieu all you dear Spanish ladies. That was a banger at the time. <laughs> Probably. So, so I, I don't like that the Highlander cannot swim, that McLeod can't swim because right. we know that he came from one city that was on an island in the middle of a lake and now he is lakeside. He's got free time, I'm sure. Yeah. He's Agreed. got a no TV back then. You got nothing to do but learn how to swim. He probably like, would have figured it out. Right. So at, at the bottom of the lake, McLeod realizes that he is not, in fact, drowning and that he can breathe underwater. He laughs, for some reason draws his sword with a mind to hack Ramirez in two, and then probably 45 minutes to an hour later, walking across the bottom of the lake resurfaces just behind Ramirez, who's had enough time like to row to shore thing. and He's build. He's covered in shit. <laughs> Yeah, Ramirez has had time to row to shore, build a fire oh. that has had time to like collapse a little bit. It's a weird sequence. This whole thing is yeah. weird. He's like tangled in the seaweed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, McLeod approaches quietly, sword drawn. We, we guess to kill Ramirez. I'm going to kill this fuck. Yeah. So he takes a big, and this is again, and this may be the first time that I'll mention it, but a big two handed downward strike. This is the first of. Probably two dozen two-handed downward strikes that we get in this movie, <laughs> which none of which I think maybe one of them in the whole movie lands. One of them finds purchase, but anyway, this one lands in a log that Ramirez has been sitting on. How did Ramirez disappear? Yeah, he's it's the quickening. Apparated. What is it? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, apparated. is that how it works? Yeah, he apparated. He can so, move like a fucking Jedi. So he then then he like stops real quick because he feels a blade on the back of his neck and it's Ramirez holding that familiar katana that we saw in the first act. Mm -hmm. And he tells McLeod, you're both crude and slow and that your attack was no better than that of a clumsy child. So I, had, <laughs> I read where like, apparently Connery was drunk like, I hope so. Most of the time, like they said he was drinking this homemade scotch. That's badass. And then he was like just having a blast working in Scotland or whatever and was just staying drunk Being all home. the time. Man, but, that's, like, I hope that's true. I, yeah. I think so too. But even drunk Connery's like acting circles around Lambert. He's yeah. just trash. I kind of hope that he has his own scotch and he calls it scotchery. <laughs> <laughs> Sean Scotchery. I'm going to drink some scotchery. See you later. I'll be in my trailer. Yeah, I know he filmed his entire appearance in this movie that was filmed in one week, which I think also explains like some how of it was in Wales and some of it was in continuity disasters because yeah. it's just like we just got to fucking crank these some shots this, out. Some of this was filmed. Some of this part of it was filmed in uh, Snowdonia National Park hmm. in Wales. That's amazing. Yeah, it looked which, amazing. Which I will it looked be visiting amazing. in November. Sweet. Yeah, yeah, I'll be right in on, Snowdonia in two months. Uh, so anyway. Uh, yeah, Ramirez is holding the blade, tells him you're a fucking idiot, and then he disarms McLeod with a single swipe of his wrist, sending this that broadsword, the McLeod family's broadsword, flying through the air. McLeod's like, all this is the work of the devil, <laughs> while, while fish drop out of his kilt. That was a weird edit. I feel like that's the editor like trying to stitch together action this, that doesn't this, make sense. That, like parts of this movie, and we've discussed it in movies past, where it's like, I'm going to try for a comedic moment to break up. But now is not the time, like in the middle of the dialogue. I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, Ramirez says again that, hey, buddy, you can't die and that you should just accept it. And McLeod's like, hey, hey, hey. 
then stops <laughs> abruptly and tells Ramirez, like, I hate you. I also love the the I hate you school of teaching, which you <laughs> identified as uh, as being from. Link, uh, over the top. Yeah, from I over the you, top. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's it's a, a start. start. It's a start. Mm-hmm. Canon, Canon school of film writing. So anyway, <laughs> yeah. Ramirez says that hate's a perfect place to start. And that, friends, man, that was, an, that was a Fuck, marathon that episode. that was an epic. Yeah, so much happens. And uh, we've learned next to nothing about what it means to be an immortal still. No. And we will not. Yeah, and we, won't. <laughs> we will not. And that that won't is... change for the duration of the movie. Oh, but all right. We've gotten some backstory at least. But that's about all we've got. That's all I've got. And and we introduced to Sean Connery. Thank Christ. Yeah, he's right? here to save the movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Anyway, we have to leave you here because we need refill. Do we have one more in us? We'll, I'm, we'll I'm up for it. We'll we'll discuss. We're gonna pour ourselves another drink <laughs> and discuss if we're gonna be right back. But in the meantime, we'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> 